Inside Out with Turner and Seth and the funky sounds of Galactic. Yeah. Stan and Moore. You want more of that Stan and Moore? I know you do. If you keep saying Stan and Moore, you got to say it more. Stan and Moore. We waited in the hot sun to talk to this guy for we, a while. Yeah, we sweated out that interview. We are pissing off our engineers. I felt bad. Yeah, well. But then when we did talk to him. I love when he gets into the beats. He like... Uh, that went on. I don't know. We do it a little bit in the interview, and then before he left, I don't know if you noticed, but I got him to do a few more for me. I love it when Stan, you, you give him a type of groove, and he'll do the beat with the... Yeah, he really is a master drummer, no doubt about that. I knew he was on another level understanding of music when I first heard him interviewed by a guy named Bob Edwards, who's an NPR legend. And uh, Edwards was a big Galactic fan. Really? When he and Stanton would sit down and talk about New Orleans music, the amount... This was before I knew about the book that we talk about in the interview. Mm-hmm. I had no idea he had the encyclopedic knowledge of of New Orleans music like he does. It's it's extraordinary. It's unbelievable. And uh, we're really excited and fortunate to talk to him. Absolutely. And uh, we hope you guys enjoyed that interview here. But before that, uh, uh, you know, Rob, it's been it's been a while. I feel like uh, typically the fall is less travels for me, but this year it's been a lot more. Um, not just music festival related, just. Uh, you know, life related. You know, I had a family trip. My wife and I did an Israel trip, honeymoon in Israel. Amazing, amazing, amazing experience. Um, and then I watched the election results with your mother-in-law. Yeah, while you were in Israel, uh-huh. and also we are going to do a special episode on your Israel trip. Yeah, let, you want to do that? We'll call it. We'll come up with a funky name for it. A we'll, middling episode. We'll a call tweener it, episode. Uh, we'll call it Shemizreel. Let's call it a tweener because that was my nickname when I was in high school. Tweener. Tweener. Okay. So but yeah, anyway. we can talk about that. But it's just you know, Rob, I miss this. I miss this space. It's it's been a minute since uh, you and I have been so close to each other, across from each other, with the microphones. The it's nice. And we got some interviews, some new interviews coming up at the Holiday Hootenanny, we hope. Yeah, we'll, we'll have that. And coming into the new season, we'll, we'll have some uh, some different things. Uh, I've been talking to Dean Budnick about John Popper, because Dean just wrote two books. One is a fiction book uh, related to the 89 Grateful Dead Meadowlands run, called Might As Well. And the other one is... Um, the other ones. <laughs> Sorry. John Popper biography, The Name Escapes Me Now, something about sucking and blowing or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, sucking and su- Yeah, exactly. But he co-wrote it with Dean, so it's... Uh, just Dean is a great writer. So. I went from suck to blow. <laughs> right. And uh, I saw a couple shows, but I'll talk about that at the end of the at the end of our little thing. And I'm headed to Asheville too. Asheville, you're gonna put out some fires? Uh no. Am I gonna smell it? I remember when I went to see Bob Weir there in like 2000, and I got to the to Asheville, and the whole city was immersed in smoke. Is that mm. what it's gonna be like? I don't tomorrow? know. I could tell you that it's it's. Uh I mean, here in Atlanta, it was like that a couple of days ago. I smelled it in Alpharetta when I was hanging with the Reed on his back porch. 
smelled it. It was so thick at one point that mm-hmm. I swear my dog started barking at the smell. Mm-hmm. I'm no, not it's, kidding. Uh, it's, it's bad. Hope, but, you know, looking outside right now, there's some rain coming here at least, so hopefully He's that. talking about forest fires. Is everybody getting out? We have forest fires here in Georgia. They're more frequent out west. Mm-hmm. They're a little uh, little new to us. Not new, new but a little not more new, rare. But rare. It's not something that happens every um, year. And they're encroaching on a couple of our little mountain towns, so there's concern here. Yeah, and, you know, some of y'all are going to be listening to this. You are... Um, well, Thanksgiving will be way behind you, although you're probably gaining, you probably still have another five pounds on you, plus the winter weight. So you're probably about seven pounds heavier than you were by the, when we recorded this. But uh, New Year's is coming up, and then, you know, New Year's shows are always, always, uh, always a big deal for bands. And they're um, popping up all over the country. Well, I mean, they're always everywhere. But uh, looking at Atlanta, you know, it's, you don't have like, Huge shows here in Atlanta, but you have you know you have big stuff. The Disco Biscuits. Well, the Disco Biscuits perform so rarely that it's a big deal. But it mm-hmm. is odd that they've performed so frequently in Atlanta. They perform more in Atlanta in the last eighteen months than they had in a, like the eight years previous to that. Yeah. And now they're doing a New Year's run. That's odd. It's a, it is a little odd. Um, and they're, they're they're taking over the Tabernacle, which uh, Sector Nine used to do, and Umphreys has done, and well, I mean. The list goes on. But oh, it's back a- in the Olympics when it was called House of Blues, there was a legendary Bob Dylan show in that same room hmm. that Jimmy Carter attended. And, uh, yeah, so New Year's has, I mean, tons of shows, but um, it's interesting. I don't know. I guess my point on the New Year's shows is there's so many, but there's only a few that are that have that epic quality, using that word, I know. but Yes, like in the one I'll be at in the Aragon Ballroom. Yeah, who's that again? The um, Freeze McGee. Didn't they? So they, just, re- they just released an album. Um, the mashups. Yeah, the, of all the mashups. What's the album called? Do you remember? It's like... Uh, monk, monk, zonky. Zonky, that's it. It's so, like a zebra and a donkey. And I love... Uh, this is the weird space with me on this one. Mm-hmm. I love the mashups. Yeah. But the idea of them going in the studio and recording them rubbed me the wrong way, and I'm not I'm not pro them or anti them. I just still haven't listened to them, and I think it's because I know I'm going to New Year's in Chicago, and on the plane right on the way there, I'll be listening to Humphreys. I'll probably just listen to them then. Actually, I listened to one. I listened to the first one, but I don't know. I just haven't. I, they seem like a live thing to me. But well, the one I have listened to was pretty crackling. Was pretty cool. The lead track, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Hey Rob, what? So you're talking about albums, right? Yes. Maybe we throw, um, maybe we start doing a couple album uh, reviews every now and then. Will you be into like that? Like vinyl? Well, I mean, that would be lovely if uh, the Specifically <laughs> review the vinyl? Send, yeah, so that means you're going to be on my couch listening to the vinyl? Well, I wanted to do show reviews, but I don't know. I was going to do those three that week, and I guess City Winery couldn't hook me up with uh They actually did hook you up, by well, the that way. That was the Robin Hitchcock. Yeah. I'm talking about the other week. Yeah. Uh, it was going to be... Oh, Richard Thompson there. And then I was going to see Larkin Poe and Elvis Costello at Gwinnett, but Robert Pillay was going to hook me up with that. I, I just don't hear from him anymore. So on the note of all of that sort of stuff, I want to give you one more insight that you probably don't know about. Okay. Uh, keeping it in the Atlanta thing because that's where we live. So do you remember the days of the Brandy House? And for those of you... Yeah, we discussed it with the Colonel on that, uh, in our first interview way back in episodes two and three. Check them out. They're awesome. So if you haven't heard it, first stop here, go back and listen to those and come back. And if, for those of you that haven't done that yet, uh, that's fine. Oh, Seth, we'll so tell you, you realize that people can pause the podcast and leave and come back and they'll still be in the same spot? Yeah, yeah, they can, Rob. Oh, okay. They don't always, Good. but, you know, those who are, are you know, brave enough to go into a podcast that's an hour and a half long, thank you for listening. But um, my point about the Brandy House. Those of you who listen to enough podcasts and know that's not all that uncommon. 
Thank you for listening. And you can email us at inside. No, no one does that anyway. So listen. I know. <laughs> you, you can follow us. Uh, never mind. So yeah, really, the Brandy House. on Twitter, we're, ah, <laughs> uh, fuck you. You're not gonna... So the Brandy House um, <laughs> used to be this thing that Colonel Bruce would, uh, that, well, the bar, it was a bar, but he used to do this, host a, a weekly series and he'd have everyone from Warren Haynes, mm-hmm. you know, Mike Gordon. John Popper. The John Popper. Yeah, he, exactly. So Dave Matthews. I mean, you name it. They all were his first. I think he, he just, stepped over it there. I don't think Matthews. Come I think on. he did. I think he did. Okay, I might be wrong about that okay, because I know he you. did some, but you know, but it was the point. Maybe like his basis or something. <laughs> no. Stefan. Uh, so, so the point is, is he would do these things where he'd have his friends, Jimmy Herring, O'Teal, everyone, right? And they'd they'd play, and it would be great. So, just t- giving you a heads up, uh, the Colonel is going to be doing a four night run in December at a new place called the Vista, which is a small independent. Venue here in Atlanta. Do you mean a four nights in a row? Or no, like no, no. A residency, throughout residency. The month? yeah. Kind of what we were talking about, hoping he'd do at the City Winery. But same this is band every night, same lineup, same band. He's going to bring his band, but it's going to be friends. So you don't know who those friends are. And in Atlanta, he's got a lot of them. So I'm just saying, I don't. I'm, I look. I don't know. I just. I, I saw this. I'm getting a little wind on things, and I have yeah. a feeling that it, you know, he's testing the waters out. And if this place. Um, I got five words for you. Mm-hmm. Get me O'Teal. He know he moved to Florida. Yeah, well, maybe he'll come up for one of these. Maybe. I'll find out. So till then, um, we want to go ahead and uh, give you guys what you're here for, which is the uh, Stan and... Hello, Galactic fans. Listen to the Stan and Moore interview. Enjoy it. And uh, we'll be back after. Uh, we've got a couple more things we want to chat with you all about. So stick around after. But until then, enjoy what we have. We really enjoyed this. This is this is not just an interview. It's a master, master class. It's a clinic. It really is. He's, a, he's not just a great musician. He's a, a pretty introspective individual with a real grasp on the history of music, particularly the music that comes out of that. Uh, can we call it the Crescent City? Is, sure. is it still? Okay. City of Lights. Ladies and gentlemen, here you go, Mr. Stanton Moore. Turner Seth, we are backstage huddled in the artist area with uh, New Orleans legend, legendary New Orleans drummer Stanton Moore. Yes, indeed. Of the band Galactic, who just got off the stage and he dried off, and here he is. That's and I right. say dry off, it, was, it is hot here, man. It's pretty warm. But you're but, used to uh, warm. I'm used to warm. It's, uh, it's pretty warm. It's getting close to as warm as New Orleans, but not quite. So I'm prepared for this. <laughs> It's, it's great. Uh, no matter where I go, uh, it's not as hot as New Orleans. So that's, uh, it's, you know. It's it, hot without the fuck. <laughs> so, yeah, today was warm, but it was, it was manageable because I've been well prepared. You glad you mm-hmm. kept up with your piano lessons when you were a kid so you got yourself that drum kit? I am. I am. You know, and it's so funny. The same piano that I had as a kid is now at my house, and my daughter plays that piano. And no so way. she's taking that's lessons. Awesome. So now... She plays, and then I sit down and play with her. So she's learning all these tunes that she wants to learn, and I play drums with her, and it's, it's kicks. It's awesome. So, is that old she? 
She is going to be 12 in September. All right. Is there an instrument she's going to win if she keeps up with her piano, or is she going to stick a piano? She likes piano. She's cool with it. I've tried to show her some stuff on drums, and, you know, she's not as interested. She likes piano. She really loves to draw and is really, really good at it, actually, and, uh, and it's getting better all the time. So she uh, that's what she's into, art and uh, piano and all the other little things that she digs, but she's really into fashion design, and so anything she wants to go into, I support. The creative genes, yeah. you can see in the genes that she creates. <laughs> can you talk about Marty Hurley and how he was an influence on you? Yeah, I mean, Marty was a rudimental, you know, a rudimental teacher and drummer who was legendary, and I didn't really know that when I went to Brother Martin High School, but I asked my parents, they said, where do you want to go to high school? I said, I want to go to the high school with the best marching band, best drum line. And they asked around and found out that Brother Martin had the best drum line. They didn't know why. I didn't know why. But I went in there for my audition and met Marty Hurley. And he asked me to break down a double stroke roll. And I didn't You say really... Blue, Devil? Blue Devils, right? No, that... Phantom Regiment. Okay, okay. Yeah. But it's all the, that's all... Same DCI, Drum Corps International, yeah. Yeah, that shit's... And they compete <laughs> against each other, yeah. And uh, so he asked me to break down a double stroke roll. He asked me to play a paradiddle. I didn't know what he was talking about. And, uh, and so I asked him, though, even back then, I was smart enough to... When I don't know something, I asked somebody to show me. You know, I was like, well, show me. You know, I've, I can learn from so many different people, and I always try to learn from... From other people, but not but only do you learn from other people, that's your net method of teaching is showing. And well, I think we'll get into it. You want to just jump in there because you have a book, but it's not just a book. It comes with a video, and mm -hmm. it's about showing, talking, yeah. telling, and then showing, correct? passing the information on. You know, I think that's important. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've written two books: one on my approach to the New Orleans stuff, taking what I've learned and then showing people how I've developed it into my thing, and then. The New Orleans, uh, the, the the funk stuff is a separate book, Groove Alchemy. So there's Take It to the Street, which is the New Orleans stuff. Oh, those are two separate things. I didn't two realize separate that. Two separate ones, okay. yeah. And Groove Alchemy is more about funk and studying, not just studying the classic grooves, but studying how those guys developed those grooves, like how they took one part from a guy before them. Talking and about the influences, mm -hmm. breaking it down. Exactly. And then if you understand something about their creative process then you can apply similar creative processes to come up with new stuff yeah, do, do drummers fall in the same predicament that that a lot of guitarists and singers do where they are thinking it's creative and new but they're actually just rehashing something they heard years ago well hopefully we are able to to put a new spin on it you know there is nothing new under the sun but hopefully you can put a personalized spin on it, a personalized, personalized take. Mm -hmm. And I do try to come up with grooves and and different ideas and and things that that haven't necessarily been done exactly that way before that other people can start to take and use and and that's exciting when I get when I go see somebody and uh, and I see that they've put their own spin on something that I might have put my own spin on uh -huh, you yeah, know yeah, so it, it's exciting to see that especially with all these young cats coming out of new orleans uh revivalists etc oh I'm yeah sure you see that come through well yeah i mean it's, it's great now i go watch the revivalists and andrew campanelli is using one of my ponderos on the left side 
of his hi-hat, which is awesome. You know, I love that. And that's, uh, that's something that, you know, like I say, nothing new under the sun. My friend Brian McRae came up with the idea of hitting a Pondero with a stick with a, with a coated emperor head on it and miking it from underneath, right? But he was using it on the right, like a second floor tom. I moved it over to the left and started incorporating it into what I do, trying to, trying to assimilate some of the, the New Orleans Mardi Gras Indian stuff, right? Mm. So I started doing that. I, I haven't seen anybody else do it. And now cats like Andrew's doing it. <laughs> I've seen other cats do it, and that's awesome. So that's what I want. That's why yeah, I did it. a compliment it. and an evolution of it. Yeah, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to keep the drum set moving forward and keep adding my own little... Your stick to the stick. Yeah, sure. And then to see other guys actually bite and actually start doing it, well, that's like, great, mission accomplished. My idea was was cool enough that somebody else wanted to utilize it, right? Mm -hmm. So that's, I love seeing that, man. It's like, it's awesome because Lord knows I've borrowed a lot from other cats, you know? Borrowed, that's right. <laughs> and by borrowed, I mean stolen, <laughs> you know? Shannon Powell, Herlin Riley. I still go out Wait, and see Shannon. How much Bernard Purdy do you have in you then? A good bit, man, you know? I mean, if you listen to any music and you're a drummer and you recreate it, you owe Bernard Purdy something. Absolutely, <laughs> and I was thinking about Bernard tonight because uh, we were playing this this tune, sixty five bars and a uh, sixty five bars of soul or something like that. It's a um, it's a it's a a tune that we started doing a few months ago. But tonight, I started getting these inadvertent little shoops, like right. That's that's Bernard, and it's it's inadvertent those little those little hi-hats it happens when you're pumping your foot on the on the eighth notes on the hi-hat and then the six the upbeat 16th notes if you open up just a little bit the upbeat 16th notes start to happen on their own right huh, okay and and that's something bernard started doing so that started happening on that groove tonight and uh it doesn't always happen on that and then it was happening tonight, and I just let it keep happening. I was like, "Ooh, Bernard!" It was like, it was like he came to tell me hi. I was like, "Hey, Bernard, what's happening?" But yeah, I mean, I love Bernard, man. And he came and sat in with Galactic on Jam Cruise and played Rock Steady. Oh yeah. And it was so deep, dude. So heavy. That's the nice thing about Jam Cruise, and they, I, I've been, I, what, I, as you know, I do work with Jam Cruise, and I, I was telling them, I'm like, you guys got to bring Bernard, you got to bring Dr. Lonnie Smith. The fact that they got those two guys on board in the last two years, I, I feel good because, I mean, these are legends. You, we, how can we have this music and 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 have like this new generation and the new new generation without bringing these guys in that created the foundation of it? Right. It's like having it's like having uh, not having the meters. The meters are alive. Bring them on board, which they are this year. Right, which is fantastic, and that's great. And yeah, I think. All of the musicians, you know, we all realize how much of a debt we owe to those guys, you know? Yeah. So you'll see, like, when, when Dr. Lonnie plays or when Bernard plays, like, all the cats are watching. Oh, yeah. You know, and and that's great to bring them and, and expose some of the, the audience that may not be as aware. You know, some of the audience is aware. They are, but, but no, that's the thing. Is like I go back to, um, to with Lonnie Smith. I remember when I was in college. Robert Walter comes to my house. We were, I was a promoter at the time in Tallahassee, and he came in, and he's sitting on the couch in my living room. It was a, There was a hurricane that came through, so he came a day early with a band. And so the 20th Congress, uh, Jimmy was there, and we're sitting there talking. 
And, and I'm like, Robert, who's your influence? He goes, Dr. Lonnie Smith. Now, mind you, this is like 97, 98. I'm just in college. I might know my music, but and I know I know Lonnie Smith, but I know Lonnie Smith from O'Hara's Pub in Fort Lauderdale as the guy that had the turban was like, oh, and, let, and you know, I did not know the legend that he was. And then it's like, you know, that, that kind of thing happens. And then what you're speaking of, you bring these guys on a place like Jam Cruise, and it's like, guys, if you like my shit, hello, this it is the shit where the from shit here. comes from. Came from here, yeah, exactly. And, you know, speaking of Dr. Lonnie, I mean, Idris Muhammad, who played with, yeah. with Dr. Lonnie, he was one of my big influences that you know a lot of the public are not as aware some of them are but but you know unfortunately we've lost to Dries but yes but uh I made a point to try to hang with him I got to play double drums with him I got to um go well, what's see that like when you play with a legend like that that oh it's I mean because you're 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 extremely established do you, do you just what what kind of changes take place when you're playing with a musician that you admire so much well for me I try to to give them space and listen and and just kind of bask in what they're creating at that moment you know it's like you don't want to step on their toes whatsoever but you also still want to interact and you, you want to want to be inspire them yeah, as well but you you definitely like you know for me and when i'm in those situations i like to listen to those cats support those cats and uh and and try to learn from you know, you can learn so much about groove and phrasing and dy dynamics by playing next to Idris Muhammad, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like, Jesus. I mean, just so funky and 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 playing the drums, not, you know, not overplaying, not, not uh, trying to push anything over, just drawing you in, you know, and... and I mean, just such a bad, bad cat, you know. Now, on, the, on the learning note, you had a good quote you found about about learning, no? Oh, about how to his advice to yeah, parents yeah, of drummers. Yeah, this is <laughs> tell parents of drummers to buy a drummer a drink and I'm sit down and talk with their kids. And I'm wondering, have, has anyone done that with taking that advice with you? Uh, or did your parents do that with <laughs> other drummers? Yeah, absolutely, man. We would, you know, if we would go out, my dad and I, we started going out together. Like I was 16, 17. And there was a Columns Hotel, and Johnny Vodakovich played Thursday nights with, with, with Tony DeGrotti and James Singleton. So we would go to the Columns Hotel. And, uh, you know, occasionally Johnny would come sit down at our table, and me and my dad were drinking Cokes, but my dad would, you know, offer whatever Johnny needed. Because, you know, Johnny was still drinking at the time, but he's not anymore. No, and, he's uh, not. you know, I would go see other cats, uh, Maple Leaf, before I could get in, you know, we would go watch cats through the back door. A place called Storyville. You this know? is New Orleans, Storyville? Yeah, but, you know, it was just the name of a club, and it wasn't, you know, anywhere near uh, actual Storyville, but it was the name of a club called Storyville. And um, and we would go to that place because it had a glass back wall, just like the Maple Leaf, where you could look through and watch the drummer, right? So, yeah, we did all that stuff um, before I could get into bars myself. And then, you know, for me... <laughs> Uh, the drinking age was 18 and then uh and then they changed it shortly after i made 18 oh, but i was man. grandfathered in so you know at 18 years old i was able to go out and see these cats and you know man buy shannon paula budweiser man and you know and he, and this is the thing about new orleans and i tell students this it's like 
you know, cats think about going to other places. They think about going to L.A. They think about New going York. to New York. They never think, think about going to Atlanta. What the fuck? Come on, Atlanta's got a plethora of musicians. You know, sure, and it does. And some people go to Atlanta. Um, and then, you know, one of my students, uh, Hannah Ford, who wound up playing with, with Prince, she went to, moved to Atlanta. And then, uh, but... And Atlanta's great. Nothing against Atlanta, but a lot of drummers, they usually want to go to either New York, L.A., maybe Nashville now. There's a lot going on in Nashville. And they like then the one-two shuffle. What's that? They like the one-two shuffle. Yeah, well, there's so much going on in, in, in Nashville now. Just, you know, tons. I mean, there's so many studios. Cats go there to record and not just, you know, not just what Career you would expect. Career musicians, you're saying. Yeah, not just what you would expect from Nashville, but, but all kinds of stuff in Nashville going on. And... And a lot of great players there. But people ask me about New Orleans, and it's like, man, you can't go to New York and buy a cat, a drink, and then sit in that same night. Uh. <laughs> but you can do that sometimes. Not every night, but with Shannon. You know? Yeah. If you go and you meet Shannon, he's in the, in the right mood, and he, he thinks maybe you can play a little. He'll... He'll invite you up and let you play, and that's you know that ain't gonna happen nah, in nah, New York because right. guys got too much to lose. You got you know you can't risk getting some student up there, and then the the club owner is gonna be like, "What are you doing? I'm yeah. paying you to play," you know. But it's a different it's a different mindset in New Orleans, and so you know you show up, you know Russell Baptiste, Shannon, those guys, man. Russell might let you play the whole last set, and he <laughs> might be gone. You know, He'd be like, hey man. I I'm still played. getting paid though. Right, right. <laughs> and he's got a gig across the street. Right. He's still get double time. You in know, it. And, but that's great experience for a younger drummer. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. I want to ask about Russell because how old were you when you carried his drums and how did you get to do that? I met Russell when I was 17 and he was 24, and uh, Russell was ripped, like washboard stomach, playing with no shirt on. And uh, just dripping wet with sweat. I respect oh, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Very this, much. Is, this is coming from the man who normally in your shows is this topless guy in the front row sweating. Depends on how you're playing. If you guys yeah. are on, I'm, the, I'm half naked. Yeah. Well, Russell, man. You're welcome. At the time, he was wearing like purple, purple. <laughs> he was wearing purple MC Hammer pants, and uh, oh, and he was and he was ripped and just yeah. like frightening. I mean, it was one of the most ferocious things I ever witnessed at 17 years old the first time I saw him play and I just went up to him and said you know hey uh, my name is Stanton I'm a drummer and you're the most amazing thing I've ever seen on the drums and I want to I want to study with you I want to take lessons from you and he said well I don't know nothing about no lessons but we can hang out <laughs> so, so hey, life I, changed after that nothing. yeah so then I started going to rehearsals and, uh, and he would let me sit in at the rehearsals. He would let me sit in on some of those gigs, like Dawson's Attack and, and other bands he was playing with. Um, and then I would go to sound checks um, with George Porter Jr. and Running Partners. And, and he wouldn't so show up for sound checks sometimes. So I'd set his drums up for sound checking and I'd get to play. And, and then when he couldn't make gigs, I would, I would play you know, some gigs with, with George. I played a few gigs. Uh, 1993, when Russell couldn't make it, and you know couldn't the, make it. Yeah, I mean he had some gigs with uh, with his family, with the Batiste brothers. Okay. And so, so I wound up doing some gigs with uh, with George, and it's so funny. I recently um, had dinner with with Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam, the, you know one of the guitar players from Pearl Jam, sure, and yeah. um, founding member, and 
and Skerek is really good friends with him. So we were playing right before Pearl Jam this year for Jazz Fest. So the night before, they got in the night before, so me and Skerek went to dinner with Stone, and Stone brought up the fact that Pearl Jam came and saw George Porter Jr. at Storyville uh-huh. uh, in 1993 when I played a few gigs with him, and Stone remembered that. He's like, I remember the first time I met you, and you were playing with, with George Porter Jr. I was like, I'm amazed that you remember that. Yeah. I was 21 years old, and, uh, and you know, I hadn't... It's still a long way to go, right? But I, I, I was at the right place at the right time to play a few gigs with George, and uh, but it made me realize how much more work I had to do, you know. So, well, if anyone can teach you how much more work anyone has to do is George Porter Jr. Oh, the yeah. fact that that man is the hardest working man in New Orleans. Yeah. Any given day, forget Jazz Fest. I mean, he's he. I don't know how anyone keeps up with that man's schedule. Yep. Yep, he's a bad, bad, bad cat. And he's an influence on all of us because, you know, because of his work, work ethic. Because, you know, he's been doing this, man, since uh, the 60s, you know? Yeah. <laughs> the Meter's yeah. first record came out in 69, but he was playing he was playing all the time before the first record came out. So, but he's, he's one of the cats that are live and still at it that influ- that were the 45 on the 45s that were going to to Europe or even so going to Jamaica helping influence the reggae scene. There's so much reggae music that's come out of that. Influence the new master sounds. Oh yeah. Oh yes, yeah. He has. Yep. Yep. Yeah, George is George is the man, you know? I mean, it's just he's a perfect example of you know, not slowing down. It just keeps going, you know? Let, let me ask you about something Johnny V said to you once when you were young. Wherever you go around the world, when you tell people you're a drummer from New Orleans, that is special. And can you talk about, as you've grown, some of the ways that you're different than other drummers and your perspective is different and the kind of feedback you've gotten from people, you know, being from New Orleans? Yeah, I mean, I would like to think that there's something about my feel and my groove that is unique. Uh, and that's something that I focused on and my my phrasing, you know, I... Uh, I worked on that long and hard and phrasing is you know for the listeners who are not not exactly sure of what i'm talking about phrasing is all about you know you can play things super straight or you can play it swung right and that's a little too swung i'm doing that on purpose so you can see the difference but what's great about new Orleans is it's in between and you know you can think about a jalopy going down the street. The way George Porter Jr. talks about it is think about a 300-pound woman walking down the middle of the street in broad daylight with a bucket of fried chicken, right? Right, hip and left, hip and right, and she's swinging those hips down the street. And it's like, and if you push it forward, that sounds like a skinny girl running down the street with a salad. And nothing, I don't have anything against skinny girls, but if you want to sound like you're from New Orleans, you got to think about that that 300-pound woman swinging her hips down the street with a bucket of fried chicken and you know <laughs> sick 
Right, or you can even think of a jalopy. You know, you got the and it's not, and you can hear it right away. That's that's lame, right? It ain't happening, and you can hear that. So I spent a lot of time learning, you know, and by learning, I mean, you know, checking out how Herlin Riley phrases. How Shannon Powell phrases, how Johnny V phrases, how uh, Zig phrases, Idris Muhammad. And each one of those cats is slightly different, right? And then sometimes things might be a little bit more swung. Sometimes things might be a little bit more straight. But but that's really, to me, that's a lot of where the funk is, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that in quotes. Um, you know, that's a lot of where the groove is, is... It's in that phrasing. There's a lot of, you know, people say, well, either this is funky or not. This is grooving or it's not. And a lot of times it's in that. And a lot of times people overlook that. <laughs> but I realized that that's where the real heart of the matter was. You know, that's where the real. Uh, well, you go back to you go back to the jazz days and you listen to Miles and, and Coltrane and these cats and any any of the interviews they've done, they talk about the sounds of New York in the same same way, you know? Oh, yeah. When you're hearing the, uh, especially with Coltrane, he's trying, from what I, one of the interviews I, I've listened to is where it, he's talking about the, the sounds of the streets and the subway and whatnot. And it's, you know, totally, it's jazz, funk, you know, it's difference, but but same, same essence there. Yeah, sure. And then, you know, Speaking of sounds and you know sounds of cities, you know Idris Muhammad talks about opening up the hi hat, and of course Melvin Parker did that on record in 1965 with James Brown on Out of Sight and uh, and I Feel Good, but Idris Muhammad is talking about you know he did that in the 60s as well, and he came up with that idea by living next to a a dry cleaning place and the the pressing machines oh yeah so he was hearing that all day long and he would be practicing to that and he was like ooh let me get that into my plane right and that and doing that before the backbeat gives the backbeat extra weight right so that's one of the sounds of you know the city, one of the sounds of New Orleans that, that Idris picked up on. And he also awesome. picked up on the Mardi Gras Indian rhythms. Ching, 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 boom. And he would fill that in with the left hand. Tick it to tick it to tick it, tick it to tick it to tick, boom. And then you put that into a funk groove. Boom, say, a tick it, pop, tick it, tick it, dry cleaning machine that he heard next to his house and then the Mardi Gras Indians right and talking about incorporating the sounds of the yeah. city Idris was a master of that and then took it to New York <laughs> and all those guys were trying to figure out how he did that Jeez. let me ask you something one thing that distinguishes Galactic from a lot of the other New Orleans acts though is the way you incorporate all these other different styles and you're very experimental how, is it ever a challenge to maintain that New Orleans sound while you're you know dabbling in all these other styles um, it's in the blood, I'll, Rob. I'll say not really. I mean, yes and no, but not really. Because, because I've spent so much time working on 
the phrasing that I'm talking about, it's a dead giveaway that I'm from New Orleans. It's just ingrained. Yeah, which can be which can be a good and a bad thing. So it's a bad thing if I wanted to move to LA and and be a studio drummer that people would hire not to sound individualistic, right? And some of my uh, LA drummer friends, they try not to have an individualistic sound because they want to be hired to be to do any job and be right. almost transparent. Right. But for me, I went the other way. I want it so that within one second, you know it's me, right? And and that's just a different uh, path. So so in incorporating all these other influences, I think that you always know that we're from New Orleans because I'm giving it away. <laughs> because you can just tell that I am because of the way that the I... The syncopation, what you're talking about. The yeah, and, the, and really the phrasing, yeah. you know. Excellent. Well, you know, if you if, if I was to be a drummer, my sound would be go to your room, go to your room. <laughs> yeah. So, was that Erica Valls with you today? That was Erica Valls. How long has she been singing with you? She started in the church, right? Yep. So she's been singing with us. Uh, I think October will make two years. Oh, really? And she's permanent now? Permanent member? I mean, well, hold on a second. Is any? Is anything if, permanent? You, have you pay, paid attention to Galactic through yeah, any of the uh, from past from Houseman on? But it's, you know, I'm sure they're tempted to click with someone and go with it, right? It's got to be tempting. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no there's no, no plan to do anything different right now. And, you know, but, you know, we could hear from Erica that she's going to go do her own solo stuff any day. So, you know, I mean, sure. and, and more power to her. And, but we, we hope that this continues for as long as it can. But nothing in life is sure, right? But we have no intent of, of changing things right now. Things are working great. We love playing with her and we love her work ethic and we love her attitude and so that's all you know for us working really well right now wait and talk i'm gonna say talk about finding and working with macy gray macy's great i mean talk about an, being an individual and yeah. being being unique and having your own voice i mean she's you know a, a, a glowing example of that and she was very sweet very cool um you know we really dug working with her and we and we developed a rapport with her where we became you know we became friendly on good terms and you know at first i think we were all just kind of feel each other out she's like you know who are these you know <laughs> this bunch of white guys you know who invited me to come play with them but uh but eventually but then she went to play with string cheese so i'm just you know <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> But you know, it, it, <laughs> we'll edit we, that out, right? We no, wound kidding. up, uh, we wound up becoming friends, you know, and it's yeah. very cool. And she's awesome. We really dig hanging out with her. Well, now, what? At what point? So, Houseman, when uh, you guys took a break with Houseman, but you guys have like constantly reinvented yourselves, and and it's like Galactic has become this band that, I mean, geez, like Treme came came out a couple years ago, and and you guys are all in that. You're you are a New Orleans band. But you're not just galactic. You're galactic with a different front. And you keep reinventing yourself. You move into hip-hop. You move into more deeper funk. You move into R&B. I mean, so two, two questions come to that is, is one, who's directing that change? Or is it organic? And two, um, where's, is, this, is this something that that's gonna, we're going to see continue? Or are you guys wanting to settle down and, and take on a certain vein? Yeah, I mean, we love the collaborations you know and we're already starting to write our next record and 
and there are definitely co collaborations being planned for that. So I don't think that's going to slow down. And then who, you know, we're, we're kind of art by democracy at this point. Although Robert Mercurio and Ben Elman have been producing the last few records. And so, right. so, you know, we're all, we're all kind of, uh, it's an open, it's an open floor where anybody can bring in ideas and kind of say, hey, we should collaborate with this cat, we should collaborate with this person. Sometimes management brings up ideas. You know, our, our manager, Alex Brawl, he had the idea for us to collaborate with Macy. So he worked on that for a long time to make that happen. And then sometimes it's, you know, simple mm -hmm. uh, phone calls. Sometimes it takes a, a, a while. And I think Macy yeah. went through a, a couple of different managers through the process. <laughs> and so sometimes it, you know, it just takes a minute to make well, it, make the collaborations happen. And sometimes they're very, very organic and natural. And when you're doing something like Macy versus Corey or versus wherever you go, um, are you seeing a difference in your audience, or is your audience still, is it is it something that's like it just beefs up your audience? Like, hey, we got to check Galactic out again because, or is it you have that, and then all of a sudden it's like people that never have been exposed to you that love Macy now all of a sudden are in your show. Yeah, we don't see as much of that really because we we do see new faces a lot, which mm -hmm. is great. So you know, we see a lot of the the diehards that we've seen for a long time, and then we keep seeing younger people coming out to see us which is good because we need that because you know cats who have, and people who've been coming to see us for years and years and years well then they have a, they have a young baby and then yeah. they then they don't come or they move to a different place or you know so although you are one of the bands though that most you're one of the bands at least in atlanta you would you would know this too is that a lot of the folks that have kids that's the night they get the babysitter right and that's great and that's awesome but you know we you need to keep yeah. Uh, Regenerating your audience, right? And that's good that we see that happening. So I think that constantly, you know, to use your words, reinventing ourselves and constantly bringing in new elements. It's not that we see an influx of Macy Gray fans or, <laughs> or Living Color fans or Neville Brother fans with, 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 with Cyril Neville. It's, it's that we just keep seeing new fans and that's uh -huh. and that's good and, and you see him because right don't you had a point on the yeah you you talk a lot about looking out in the crowd and having a perspective of the drummer and uh and you stand a lot when you're playing too i mean do you really check out the crowd are you really you know oh, seeing yeah. what they're responding to for sure yeah and that shapes your set list moving forward yeah definitely yeah we like to interact with the crowd you know we don't want to be up there in a glass vacuum just playing you know uh like laboratory animals being observed you know we like to interact with the crowd we like to see what they're responding to you know we like to uh have that give and take and you know the an energetic set for us is often it's it's a give and take you know it's like the more that the the audience is giving back to us the more energetic they are the more that energizes us and so we give back to them and it's like this reciprocating a vortex cycle yeah which is great so i love i love that give and take so we definitely want to be aware of what's going on mm -hmm. with the audience you know little elephant in the room though <laughs> you said you're already arranging their collaborations for the next uh, release is there anything you can tease us with um no not yet not yet but uh but you'll you'll know you'll hear about it <laughs> 
We often talk about the business side of things. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah he is the fan perspective if you haven't got that. And he's the industry perspective. But I, I've noticed that Rob Mercurio is sort of the liaison between you and management. Yes. Does that ever put him in an awkward position? Is there ever a kill the messenger kind of moment? Uh, sure. All the time. <laughs> you know, and we try to go easy on him. Uh, <laughs> but he definitely, he feels that sometimes, I think. And, you know, but we, we try to not go too hard on him. And, I mean, you know, we've been doing this for 20 years now. So I think that, that we have tried to harbor a... Um, an environment of respect and you know and we all respect each other and don't come down too hard on each other so so even if there's a situation going on where it's like that we're unhappy with we try not to take it out on on him you know but I mean pretty much from day one it's he was kind of that guy you know when we we borrowed money from our parents and made cooling off and then got it printed up and then we started calling clubs and sending things to clubs and Robert was following up with the clubs and he following just up with the it. contracts. Yeah, he just kind of took to it and just kind of started doing it and it's kind of the guy. And then once we got a... And you guys, you guys had gave, you had faith in him and you believed and oh you, yeah, you trusted sure. him and in his decisions and that's, trust is the biggest part of it probably. Yeah, and he shields us from a lot of stuff that we don't necessarily need oh, to know absolutely. about. You know how him. long it took us to be able to interview you? He kept, he would not return my call. Right, right. Well, you know, he wanted to make sure you really wanted it. <laughs> Just a couple more things before you leave. We've got to talk about improvisation. First of all, your idea of, uh, what is it, controlled sloppiness and how that pushes the band. Yeah. And also, what do you guys do when, it, it, I don't know if it happens a lot, but if one of the guys isn't quite on, do you kind of try to edge them out? Do you try to do something to woo them back in? Or do you just ride on through? Well, it depends, you know? <laughs> I mean, it depends on the song and the moment and, you know, but I mean, everybody shows up ready to play. So, so we don't really have that, that issue. Uh, but t so tell us what controlled sloppiness is and how it drives you and keeps you guys inspired. Yeah. So again, coming to that, that idea of phrasing, right? So even if I'm playing something that that sounds like ding ding boom, I can be playing that perfectly to the click. Beep bop beep bop beep bop beep bop. Right. So if I made that too precise. Right? Right. Then that, that doesn't, that would sound too squared, right? And it doesn't allow the other players to play off of it. Is that what you're saying? It just, it's, it doesn't feel good. It just makes it that, flat. If, yeah, if I would, if I would, my phrasing, I like it to, to straighten out at the end of a phrase and to swing a little bit at the end of a phrase. Zagadu, get to, get Zagadu. I swang one. I straightened out the end of one phrase. I swang the end of, of another phrase. So, you know, that's that's organic. That's, you know, you can't do that in an L.A. studio it, usually. Maybe if that's what they want. But, right. So, but but the thing is, is that the I can do all that to a click. Beep, bop, beep, bop, right? I can do all that. So it's controlled. It's in time. But 
those phrases, some of them end a little a little straighter, some of them end a little more swing. And I do that on purpose. Did and that's, I'm, I'm, I'm massaging that phrasing, you know? Um, I'm playing with it. And because I don't want it to sound like, you know? Were you practicing with a metronome or something, you know, to keep that time? Yeah, I practiced with a metronome. I practiced with eighth notes or quarter notes. But, but so that I can mess with the phrasing in between the big notes. You know, some guys like to practice to to 16th notes, right? So, to me, that's not the phrasing I'm going for, right? I'm going for thinking about that woman walking down the street with a bucket of fried chicken. So and her, and her I, I hear sloppiness. that, but I'm also hearing, do you remember Danny Berger? Do you remember drummer Danny Berger? He used to have, he still is live, he has a, he has a blow tube. Okay. That like a, you know, like a, like you see at a refrigerator, you know? Right, right. That tube goes into the, goes into the snare and he's like, and he blows the air. Right, right. And it's all phrasing like you're talking about. Yeah. He, he's, he's a cat that's played with Dr. Lonnie Smith for years. Okay. Back in Florida. Yeah, I, I'm not familiar with him, but the, the, the tube thing, you know, I'd heard about it, and so I did it years ago. Yeah. And I, I haven't done it l- lately, you, but You yeah, were doing the Peter cool. Frampton covers with it, though, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you ever been to Cuba? I have not yet. No. Nope. You think the man would ever consider playing Cuba? Oh, of course. Yeah, we would love to go there. Jam Cruise I mean, next talk year, about let's do it. being culturally, culturally rich and a place that we need to... Uh, draw more from you know I mean I, I love Cuban music I love uh, I would want to get there for sure yeah and I hear the street music's incredible have you ever have you ever played on the street when you were younger or just has the oh, band yeah. ever gone out and just done stuff uh, not as galactic so much but I've you know I've tried that a couple times you know when I was younger going out you, you know, see Jackson on the way to Square Jazz playing a little bit What's that? Would we have seen you on the way to Jazz Fest? Uh, probably not. No, I, you know, Jackson Square. I tried that a couple times, and then uh, it was fun for a little minute, you know. But I think it'd be a great video, Galactic playing in Jackson Square, just Whoa. even just a couple songs. That, that could be cool. Pop up run. set. That, be, that that could be cool. Robert, are you listening, Robert? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, the last uh, we're taking yeah, enough we of your time, but. Uh, we talk a lot about festivals. Can you talk about some strange and odd? They don't have to be New Orleans, of course. You play festivals all around the world. Some strange, odd, unusual experiences you've had at festivals. Oh, just you know, just when it when they get. There was one in particular that I remember that was just really, really badly conceived, badly put together. And then once we got there, it, it rained. It was just like, you know, the elements, the universe did not want this festival to happen. And everybody was trudging around in, in you know, mud that was 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 definitely, how, how do we say? Uh, Fecal? Yes. Yes, that's a good way to say it. I was going to say it was, uh, you know, it was very rich in fertilizer. And uh, and it was just, it was not a good experience. But, but we still tried to play and have fun. But, you know it's not easy to put on a festival you know and a lot of people over the years have seen some of these festivals become successful and they say oh I can do that and they try to do it and then then it it doesn't always work (laughs) but but we love playing you know festivals of all kinds all over the place you guys are a rare band where you're one of the few bands that you're a staple at like Bonnaroo you're a staple Jam Cruise you're a staple I mean a jazz fest you know New Orleans late night I mean you you're a band that's a staple at Bear Creek. You were a staple. I mean, you know, you've 
I always do the Jazz Fist Bear Creek and uh, Jam And that's Cruise a great thing, but do you ever driving. wonder if that affects your draw when you're headlining your own gigs, when you, you're such a staple at all these events? Um, I mean, that's a good question, but, you know, our management and our booking agents try to make sure that we don't oversaturate, and then we still have to earn a living, right? Yeah, so that's uh, his kid, his da- He wants to have his daughter's uh, piano lessons, Rob. Come that's on, right. Man. You know, you Jeez. still have to earn a living, so it's a, it is a balancing act. Yeah, fashion's expensive. If she keeps, you might want to shy away from that. That's and expensive. his time is expensive, so I want to thank you, Stan. Yes, thank, yeah, you, Stan. thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Excellent. All right, man. On. Thank y'all. All right, we'll all right. see y'all down the line. Badum. That was it. There's a little bit, a little more taste of Galactic, and uh, that was our Stanmore interview. Do you guys want more at Lock and Festival? And if you want to hear more about Stan, this is uh, our little compromise. Seth came up with a brilliant idea. Um, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have addendum episodes, perhaps. That's the word I was looking for. Thank addendum, you. Was yeah, it? that was it, man. It just Look came at to see, me. Finally, we're back. You and that word came to me. We're back, yeah, buddy. So we'll um, we'll do the just the nuts and bolts here. For your short intentions, man, people. <laughs> oh, God, Rob. And then for the real music fans, we'll have a little addendum. And then what, you want me to just do that one? No, I mean, I'll do it with you, too. But if you have... If you're in town. Yeah, if I'm in town. But if not, you're more than welcome to record somehow. Maybe you go over Josh's house. Maybe he'll let you record there or something. He doesn't like me over at his house, though. It's not him. It's his wife. She's afraid of you. Why would she be afraid of me? Because have you seen yourself lately? I, sh- I trimmed the beard. It's not the beard. I trimmed the beard. It's not the beard. The belly's smaller. It's not. What is it? Dark under the eyes? I'm not sleeping well, am I? No. Oh. But that's besides the point. So listen, drummers... But seriously, she came up to me at that I, show. I'm just making it up, man. I don't talk right, to Josh's right. wife. I don't know this shit. Ask Martin. He might know. He's got one dog that's really weird. Which one? I don't only know he, he has one. He has two dogs. They're both friendly, but the one will like growl at you and you think he's going to rip your arm off and then he'll nuzzle up against you. Really like... Um, oh, I just totally edited myself. Good, good. <laughs> uh, so listen, those of you listen that are still around that listen to the Stand More, I want to tell you guys one thing. If you're a drummer, check out his book. Every drummer we know mentions this. So, And if you're a parent of a drummer, he gave us a really, really good piece of advice. Or I, I think I mentioned it. I had heard it somewhere else and we spoke about it here. If you're a parent of a drummer... Or of any instrument. Oh, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That He said in the yeah, interview, the, the reiterate best, it, reiterate it. One of the best things you can do for your kids is to get someone who plays that instrument professionally, buy them a drink, sit them down with your child, and get them talking. Now, you don't want to buy too many and get them, you know, sloshed, you know. You want to make sure they're clear-headed. 
Or if you know you're lucky I mean? enough like us, just invite those people to your house. I can't tell you how many times, like uh, f- like Thanksgiving, when, uh, were you there at that point? Or no? I think you went to go f- walk your dog. Uh, but Daryl was going to bed, my son Daryl. Uh, right before we went to bed, though, um, we had Grant Green Jr. over and Garv, who uh, is also a percussionist. And Daryl's about to go to bed, and, and, and he picks up his little toy guitar, and he goes, can I give a concert before we go to bed? We're like, sure. Next thing you know, the little concert turns into a little jam session where he's playing his guitar, and then, you know, the other kids are banging on the drum and they're singing songs and it was actually you know it, it had something it yeah, was but he did mustang sally again every time i see daryl he does mustang sally it's enough already oh you know what though is actually he he gets that confused with uh sneaking sally through the alley but you know what are you gonna do we get it you better slow your mustang down chill out okay uh, oh by the way of that thing my son was into flinging feces, so... Your son? Yeah. So I took him to Gigi Allen's show and bought Gigi Allen some drinks, and I'll tell you what, uh-huh. after that, my son, nobody could throw feces like my son in the high school. <laughs> he was the best. He was all-state feces slinger after that. Son of a feces. I'm telling you, this is good advice. So yeah, getting back... Go ahead. I wanted to say, though, it's get good advice. You know who gave great advice? Two episodes ago. Who did? two episodes ago Jason Roger yeah Jason uh, today we started Daryl at cello lessons that were Suzuki ah. method so he, he had his first lesson today first lesson on a cello is a natural orange constant voodoo visionary and talk thank you so much had an amazing night at the variety playhouse about a week ago about 10 days ago yeah, time doesn't matter it's a podcast right but it was fantastic talk it's so gratifying to me to see a band like that be able to headline, you know? Yeah, but here's the thing. Could you hear them or do people talk all over them? No, they actually have a pretty attentive fan base. A little chatty. When I went over to the sides at points. So there's like fish heads and there's talkatives? Well, I don't know. I, some of my friends, you know, I wanted to go over and... Because I like them and they're good <laughs> friends. But then after a while... But my friend Lisa Osmond, she was locked in. Really? She was locked into wow. the talk. Ooh. I was loving watching Lisa like really get into talk. Because I know those guys. I've hung out with them. They're like totally chill, down-to-earth dudes. So it's really, really... And, and plus, no vocals. It's kind of proggy. It's kind of like in the slip realm. You know what I mean? Slip, schleho, that kind of stuff that yeah. too many dudes in yeah. the audience. Yeah. Well, talk's doing that same kind of stuff. And there's women there digging it. Right on! How old, how old are they? Right on! Not the women. How old are they? How's the band? They're a young band, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They're a young band. One of them is like a nephew of the garden guy. I think the bassist. The garden guy? Yeah, the guy who likes <coughs> to pay all that money. You know. uh, your gardener? Garden? What the fuck are you talking about, Madison Rob? Madison Square Garden. Oh, the garden. That's Seth's belly. He makes fun of me for being fat. You just heard his belly. And he's wearing his Moon Alice shirt. Yes, thank did you, Moon Alice. Did they send you the hoodie, they, too? Yeah, they did. I like the hoodie. It just, it's not cold enough yet, but it's going to be soon. Uh, really nice. And they also sent an album, which uh, hopefully you're going to listen to. Uh, yes, but they were supposed to send me the Doobie Decimal. I have not gotten that. Well, you got to roll that one up, man. Is it Karen? Hmm? Yeah, I enjoy, I enjoy talking with her online. Although I felt bad. I did say one thing that turned out to be... Un- uh, 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 I felt really bad. Oh, God. Not again, Rob. What? It had to do with the election. 
I said uh, the, no politics here, buddy. All right, fine. it's like Thanksgiving dinner. No politics. Just let's say it was accidentally prescient. Hey, maybe you can. Maybe she can recount it. Okay. <laughs> Jill Stein, the one thing she did that I would like. Uh, so, uh, Rob, festivals. Can we say goodbye to Hillary? I wasn't a fan of hers, but she put a lot of time in, and her career is done. Tip of the hat to her. I felt bad for her. I really did. I don't usually feel that bad for the. I felt bad for her. I felt bad for Gore. What about Michelle Obama? You think she'll she'll make a make a come around and be? Yeah, because that um, wife of a former president thing did so well this time. I know. Hey, you know what? We're getting into the whole of politics. We're going to backtrack out of that. What's um, the Jersey guy? Booker. Booker. What the hell? Is Cory Booker. Booker T. What are you talking about? Our next president. Oh, I don't know who you're talking about. Go on. Um. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about festivals, though, Rob. It's that time of year. Please do inform so, me. So, uh, well, no, this is a message out to promoters and anyone listening. If you're looking for a volunteer software, check out festival.com. That's festival.com. Volunteer management software. This is obviously I'm pitching my shit here. Yeah, but, naivete here now. Yeah, uh, no, I just I'm putting it out there though. How, putting it out how, there. How do you prevent people from using that without paying you? They can't use the festival. It's a software they license. They have to pay for the license. You can't have access to it. Once they've done it for one year, how do they? How do you keep them from just taking on the software and not using you? It's, it's a web. It's a cloud-based software, so they have a license. Once their license is over, they do not have access. It's like like if your email software, Rob. Yes. Just you tried to log in and it didn't let you log in because your access was expired. <gasps> Yeah, so we're doing a whole redesign with uh, Festival, which and we have our uh, a new um, piece that we're launching that's tied into Eventbrite tickets. So people will be able to issue tickets through Eventbrite right through our software to their volunteers. Uh, a lot of cool things with that. And wet, we're I mean, I'm very very pleased to say that it's not even January. And we finally have our contracts, some of our bigger contracts locked in for next year uh, with, you know, with with a big open space. Because you guys got to understand, I'm going to give you a little insight on the music business, folks. It fucking sucks. OK, let me tell you something. You if you're 18 years old or 25 years old, it's great you, you because you can still live off nothing. But when you are in your 30s, I'm, an, I'm turning 40 this year. It's not easy not knowing if you have your budget met and i'm not saying our budget's met but this year for the first time we've got some of our larger contracts locked in already you know locked down rather and you know that's it's comforting because that gives us the space because there's always the other stuff that you don't know about but it's really hard when you get into the new year and you're still not sure of your you know your gigs so we're pretty excited about that um that things are moving moving forward there and i'm also looking for a job so if anyone's less kidding <laughs> i could use a fourth job Oh, man. So, yeah, I just want to put that out there, though. Festival season started, and if you guys are uh, looking to run your own volunteer program, use our software. If not, uh, reach out to us so we can help you guys. But, um, you know, there's a lot of festival stuff happening. There's a lot of changes this year. It'll be interesting. You've got Electric Forest doing two weekends. You've got uh, Bonnaroo. What's going to happen with Bonnaroo this year after last year? I have Bonnaroo predictions. Yeah, what's that? Beyonce. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm thinking Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. And then how can you go big rock? It's got to be Radiohead, right? I would think, I think this year, I could see they Radiohead. They have to go big. I think Radiohead, I think Fish, because Fish is kind of like an every other year for them kind of thing lately, no, right? No, they, Fish has only played twice and they were three years apart. I don't think Fish is a draw they need right now. No, I think you're right, though, that it is something more like Radiohead and maybe. Yeah, Radiohead, but, Kendrick, and Beyonce. 
yeah, than but, you sell tickets. Yeah, and the Kings of Leon and kind of keep moving down that road. I guess they are still pretty good. I heard a Kings of Leon song I really liked the other day, actually. I'm not huge on them. Same with those Imagine Dragons. I heard a nice song the other day. And it's funny, like, now... Well, whatever. That's a whole other subject. Go ahead. We're the no, end of the episode. Just, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not anal about stuff at the end of the episode. I just let you babble about your volunteer garbage for a minute. But no, no three songs. I'm just kidding. That isn't garbage. Seth's glaring at me. You know that volunteer stuff is really cool. You can get into the music industry. <laughs> People know I'm kidding. They don't know you're kidding. They don't understand the insight of your anger. So Rob and I are debating right now. Like, <laughs> look, I'm just saying, listen, you guys never fucking respond to our our podcast but if you are a listener please email us because i want your opinion do you guys want an hour and a half or do you want let's let's put it this way the show's 20 episodes deep so no we're at the crossing we're at the crossroads for some decisions so listener feedback at this point would be very helpful. Valuable. It's, it's, we it's want to not, know. We want to hear from you. We're not trying to stroke our egos. We know you guys are busy, and it takes a lot of time to write an email. You have to comp- you have to scheme it. You, you have, have to, to edit it. it. You have to edit, you have to edit it. it. And then you got to have your wife edit it for you. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to... You can't... What is this? You can't write that to them. They don't... They, you know, they're, very, they're podcasters. You can't write something like that to them. Oh yeah, all the, all my Twitter followers, you're welcome for that music that I periscope this week. R S T N E R. Do people really listen to you or watch your periscope? Um, I'd say some, some are real low, but if it's a good, if it's something popular, I get like 100, 200. Really? But most are like 10, 15. Because you know me, I, I'm I periscoping know, yeah. like weird. Do you ever periscope by mistake? Like you, you're periscoping, and then you go to butt the bathroom, scope? and you're like butt peeing. Scope? And you're just, do you know? For, come on, have you ever had that happen? Those actually got the most views. <laughs> <laughs> the the most the views, only thing people are interested in the littlest coverage but the most views <laughs> <laughs> all right listen folks uh, yeah we got to do this Israel thing yeah well and then I got to work in the morning so let's right let's get out of here all right thanks everybody for listening uh, we miss you and here's some music just a little just a little but if you want more stick around for the addendum yeah we're gonna do an addendum show now so that that was a good Seth, com- Seth compromise for uh, for the real music fans for the music lovers and with that we say. Four more tears. (laughs) (laughs) Does it really make a difference if we don't see out of eye? Does it really make a difference to build your castle in the sky? Oh, does it really make a difference at all? Are we gonna let the big things take over the small? Doesn't make a difference at all. Doesn't make a difference at all. Does it really make a difference Whose tears are first to flow oh. Does it really make a difference Who's holding on, who's letting go oh. 
really make a difference anymore. You know the hardest thing is to go on alone. It doesn't make a difference at all. Oh, doesn't make a difference at all. Oh, oh, oh. 